Blog Talk Radio. That song is way too hip for us, to be honest with you. Anyway, you're listening to Global <laughs> I Stars. Think, I think Russ, and I think Russ agrees with you. <laughs> oh, wow. I think well, that's Russ. I'm, yeah, 503, that's Russ. Right, Russ? Russ, are you there? Hello, who's the, who's this on the on the line? Well, this is Chris. Oh, Chris. Okay. Sorry. Okay, wait. Russ is five zero eight. That's right. My goof. Yeah, it's Chris really? Luck. How are you guys doing? Oh, hey, Good, Chris, Chris Luck. It's Stephen Brandt and Keith Kokenda of the Yellow Card Podcast. We're we're on. I'm glad, I'm glad you. I, I should have actually seen. Seen the number now. Keith and I are actually for the first time in what a month and a half looking at the same um, board, and it's even funnier is that <laughs> Keith and I are not even in the same state. <laughs> well, I'm not either then. Yeah, well, I'm in the state of confusion <laughs> or New York, as we like to say. Anyway, we're listening to the you're you're on the Global Scars Yellow Carded Podcast, Chris Gluck. Keith Kokinda and Stephen Brandt. So we're going to have some fun today. It's actually good that we've got Chris on because he can he can talk about the statistics and the smart stuff while Keith and I just our, our ears blow up through all this. Um, a <laughs> couple things I did want to talk about today, and it's kind of I, I'm glad we have someone on. Um, I did want to talk about Jermaine Jones going to um, what what Jermaine Jones said about. Irrigate Klinsman wanting him to come to the MLS uh, in the international break. And, I mean, we're, we're going to get into this coming later up in the uh, month, but Landon Donovan getting a testimonial, and what players have we missed who should get a testimonial now? And just random other stuff that comes to mind. So let's see here. Let's hopefully nobody else has popped on. I, I, know, Matt, I know Matt Hoffman's not going to be able to pop on. Anyway, um, yeah. The other thing I was also thinking about is how when we're growing this game. Do we have to develop? A, do we have to have a? Do we have to have a new like like a songbook or a chant book for each club? Because I, I'm getting kind of bored of listening listening to the MLS and hearing the same "We will win" or "Clap clap team" type of thing. I don't think, I mean, you hear a lot of the same stuff all across Europe. You know, I don't, I mean, they have, they may have a little more variety because they've been doing it for so long, uh, but I, you you were comparative, they've been doing it, it, it dates back to, well, at least the early to mid-60s with the Liverpool sports, it probably goes back even farther than that, I'm sure. Uh, and it's just that kind of, yeah, the 60s with the, with all the, the British Invasion bands, all their songs became so popular. Of course, Liverpool, He'll Never Walk Alone, and uh, uh, Glad All Over for Crystal Palace by the Dave Park Five and things like that. But certainly it, it predates that uh, for certain cities. It's just, I think it's just a case of we haven't been doing as long. And I'm sure people will come up with more songs and, and different lyrics uh, as we go along. I guess, I guess it depends more on the the supporters' culture and how they do things. Uh, you know, I know, I know, like, with Chicago and I think to a certain extent Philadelphia and Portland are big on having uh, their capos to, to lead the supporters in their songs and chants. Columbus doesn't have any such thing, uh, at least not, not as visible necessarily. They don't have purses. They get that if they have capos, they're certainly just, they're just in there with the rest of the supporters. So, I, I, it's just give it time and we'll come up with more. I, I don't think that's that's that big an issue. You know, hey Stephen, that that's a great question. And, and since Keith, you mentioned Portland, I'll kind of throw in an observation. Um, not sure if it has value or not, but you know, when I lived in England, um, you know, you, you mentioned the cop and you mentioned Crystal Palace, and then there's forever blowing bubbles for West Ham United. The 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 difference there, I think, is those are anthem songs that the entire stadium sings. And like right. even when you go to the Portland Timbers and you've 
you've got the organization with the Timbers Army and in the songs and the chants that that go on throughout the game. They they're not anthem songs. There isn't an anthem. So so that I think is a a difference. I don't I don't know if that ever gets uh, completely into the system. I mean there's I mean Seattle one side of the stadium chants Seattle the others you know chants Sounders and there's that back and forth but you know um having 60,000 or or 25,000 in any of these stadiums here chant and the anthem I you know I I'm not seeing it yet that's a good point, Chris. I hadn't thought of those terms necessarily, uh, but you, you're right. There's not too many. Uh, I can't think of an MLS club on top of my head that has anything that is anthem-like, such as you know, "You'll Never Walk Alone" for for, for Liverpool, "Glad All Over" for Crystal Palace, or, or what have you. Um, you know, I know when I you know, just looking up here on uh, uh, the Stratford N dot com. Uh, website they list uh, oh gee about oh my goodness it's probably a list of at least three dozen uh, different songs and chants that they have uh, and some of them are some of them are some of them are players that they've moved on obviously but they, there's you know, there's yeah I don't uh, yeah anthems in MLS you're right Chris they're they're lacking and. Uh, it would be nice. To, it would be nice to see that. Um, certainly, with uh, of course, part of the problem is here, and I'm going to. You know, people who are under the age of 35 are really going to hate me saying this, but you, as I said, you some of the anti, you know, the English anthems, particularly, came out of the British invasion days in the 1960s. And let's face it, the quality of popular musicians here in America today compared to that of the British invasion, there's a little bit of a drop off. I'll be nice. I'll be nice about it. Well, no, let's not be nice. About it. For the most part, American music, when it comes to, especially when it comes to, you know, pop music, it is garbage. You know, and it's it's hard to draw on material. And and fans necessarily like it. The example I I thought was really funny is <clears throat> last year the Cincinnati Bengals decided to do something a little different when the team came out of the field and they played Katy Perry's War. Well, the song got booed like crazy. They were inundated with emails and they were so so bad, they dropped it the next week. So you, you've got to have some quality material to work with in that respect. And let's face it, we got a hard time with that here in America right now with the state of popular music. The state of popular music has been... Uh... As Mick Jagger said in the seventies, it's just all been out of a music box and 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 uh, music. Oh, what did he say? What is the exact phrase? Because Mick had an impressive. I know the line you're talking about. about. I can't think of it, but but you're yeah, right. Yeah, it's a really impressive riff about disco that I used to know word yeah. for word because I did a I did a, I did yeah. a bio, It's I from did the stuff in the seventies album. I know that for a fact. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was it's a problem because you got every you got people so many times in different in particular genres. All they do is taking music somebody else created and remixing it, and adding their own oh. uh, you know two line rhymes to it. Or you got people using auto tune all over the place, so you don't know if they you have no clue whether or not they can actually sing. Other people are actually creating the music uh, because these associated pop music they're trying. It's not about selling records and CDs and concert tickets. It's it's a building a creating a brand to sell all kinds of other things, all kinds of other products. So yeah, that's that's the big problem MLS has in that respect in terms of clubs having anthems. Is and, and, and well, the other thing too is some cities, the music scene is such a like like take Columbus for example. You can't name a any even remotely popular band that's pop I mean popular outside of this area that people outside this area know for that Columbus Crew fans can draw from. Again, Dave Clark Five were from the area of London where Crystal Palace in South London where Crystal Palace is located, so it's a natural connection. Same thing with uh, with uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers. You know, Jerry Mars and those guys, they were all from, from Liverpool. So there was that natural con- local connection. You know, not every city in MLS has that I you know, I know Seattle had the big 
your music seeing in the 90s, but they were all crap too, especially Nirvana. But, you know, you, you got to have, <laughs> it, it, it's nice to have something local to draw on as well. Yeah, and most people from Seattle, most of the people from Seattle smoked the brain down in the 90s, so you, I don't think you want any better yeah. up there trying to sing they're that doing, sing they're, hey, they're, they're doing They're doing it even more now that pot's legal up in the state of Washington, too. Keep that in mind. Well, yeah, so, you can you know the Northwest isn't quite as <laughs> quite like that, but you know here here's something to consider, and and maybe this has to do with an anthem or not. But you know one of the things I've talked to a couple of the folks in the Timbers Army about is is uh, you know the the jumbotrons um, could you know the the stadium owners you know that I mean the team owners. And, you know, the stadium owners could potentially create anthem songs if if they used the Jumbotron to help others that are watching the game get in the feel of learning how to do an anthem. Say, for instance, they, they get the, you know, the Emerald City supporters or the Timbers Army or, or the, the Brothers of Ben, I think, is for Philadelphia, if I'm right. Or, yeah, Sons of Ben. So, you know, that, something like that could happen, too. So, so it, you know, it's, I don't know if it's as much of a stadium fan issue as it might be a leadership issue from Major League Soccer owners, too. So, well, uh, well, um, here, I I don't know I don't know if that's necessarily true because certainly uh, going back to the beginning of MLS it was one of the things that was different from soccer previously because I you know I was very heavily involved in booster clubs in the 1980s in the major indoor soccer league and just about all those clubs they had an officially sanctioned club uh, a supporters club MLS has never done that all these supporters clubs have sprung up generically uh, not generically um. It's been a grassroots thing. The club, the clubs have never sanctioned any particular club as an official one that I'm aware of, and, and that's where a lot of this, the whole culture has come from. The fact they they, they see it's more to see see what's happened in Europe, especially, and just wanting to, to do to do it but put our own American twist on it. This is not something ownership really should be getting, to me, should be getting involved in, especially with the Jumbotron thing. Because one of the things I always point out to soccer people, that the people don't follow soccer, one of the things I would tell you about is that here's, here's a big reason why soccer is much better than most American sports is when, you're, when you watch a game or you're at a game, all the noise is generated by the fans. There's no music being piped in any place on the speaker, and they're doing it on their own. There's no board up there telling them to, like in all the other major sports. Well, I think that's something. The ownership has other things they need to deal with uh, in, in that respect, I, I feel. Like the supporters are perfectly capable of creating anthems if, if they so, so choose. For whatever reason, they just haven't done it yet. Uh, you know, I've mentioned a couple of things. I'm sure there's other reasons, but but I just leave it in the hands of supporters. If they, if there's an anthem out there for a club, they'll figure it out themselves. I think. Yeah, I mean, I would love to, I would love to see each of the each of the clubs do it. Maybe I'm just being superficial, or maybe the anthem for the league should be "Shut Up Ted." <laughs> that's not an anthem. That's just a chant. Well, you know, you know, just just a thought here. I don't know if we get time for it or not, Stephen. But you know, the the other big difference is the cultural environment. I mean, you know, in as much as Garber and MLS have said that they're not going to go promotion relegation, and maybe until 2050, or maybe not even after that. You know, when when you go to Europe, there there is no. Um, franchise it's the football association and then clubs in villages working all their way up to major cities are a part of that country's football association so so you know there's that ownership and pride that you get when there's the the promotion or relegation battle that that passion that goes with the team that you support so you know, I'm not saying that that doesn't necessarily exist here in some parts of the country, but 
you know, the the culture's different, and, you know, I'm not saying it's a, a bad thing that there aren't anthems here. Maybe, you know, soccer can survive here without anthems. Um, you know, it's it, it's a different environment. Um, and, and, you know, like it or not, I mean, Chivas USA is poor, as their club organization is or was, they're still a member of Major League Soccer. If they were in Europe, they'd be in Division Three now. So, yeah. you know, it, it's a different culture. So, you know, maybe anthems isn't the right thing. Maybe the approach that, you know, Emerald City supporters and the Sons of Ben and, you know, maybe it's just those things naturally on their own will progress to not just being sections 101 to 107 or 108 at Providence Park, but maybe it'll end up progressing to the point where, you know, everybody knows the songs and everybody sings the songs. And, you know, it just and, and maybe I, it just takes time. Yeah. I mean, it does take time. You see, so I go to, when I go to crew games, I can hear you know, I don't sit with the uh, – we're in the Nordeca because where I get my tickets, it's usually on the opposite side of the stadium because the, the guy who gets before he wants to keep an eye on me, obviously, make sure I don't get in trouble. <laughs> but but I sometimes will hear some of the chants and songs being uh, mimicked near where I sit on the opposite side of the stadium. And uh, so I, it, as I, you, you're right, Chris. I think that on the second point, the latter point, I think you're right. It will progress as time goes on. As I said before, we haven't been doing this as long. You know, I, yep. the, the league structure thing I don't think is terribly relevant in terms of anthems. It's relative in, certain, in terms of some of the songs and chants. Obviously, you have, we don't have, we, we're never going to have our version of, of K Sarah Sarah because we don't have a the national stadium site for the U.S. Open Cup like you have with Wembley for the FA Cup final. Uh, there's obviously not going to be any songs regarding T's promotion relegation. You're never going to hear the we're going up chant in an MLS game as long as they're not going to put in promotion relegation. You know, for whatever reason, you know, we they decided to set their system up the way they did. We're doing it differently here. Uh, it has a little bit of an impact in, in that respect, but um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, to me, the, the supporters culture, however it evolves, and in whatever they do, whether it be the TFO, the chants, the songs, or whatever, they can, I, I'm willing to trust them. I'm always of the, of the, the opinion that you know, give the fans credit for having some brain power, because they usually do. And it's it, too many times your, your ownership uh, doesn't necessarily think that way, or certainly they say things that make you think they don't think that way. But you know, it will progress. It will continue on. And it's you know, obviously, you know, it's um, it's easier for those chants and songs to get around in some of the in the soccer specific stadiums as opposed to places like Seattle, uh, you know, playing at a huge stadium. Well, certainly, with all the people they get, they've been doing this for a longer time than most of the MLS teams. Obviously, they've got a, for a really good supporters club culture going there uh, as far as chants and songs and that are concerned. But it'll evolve. It takes time. It's like I said about. Comparing MLS to the sports league, you know, this is we're just finishing year 19, whereas the others have been around for at least 50 years. And to, to see the progression in all aspects is remarkable. And I think, I, I think, to me, the ultimate statement about the MLS supporters culture is what we're seeing in other sports. It's not uncommon to see fans of other sports teams with scarves at games. I see it. Here in Columbus, some of the crew supporters club people decided, hey, we're bored during the winter, and they formed the Arch City Army to do some of the same things that Nordeca do on a smaller scale for the Columbus Blue Jackets in the NHL. So that, that, to me, says more about the supporters' culture and how far it's progressed and where it stands than anything else. Well, the, the other good reason to have Chris Block on is that um, being a – Timbers fan out on the East Coast, it's almost impossible to stay up for the full for full games unless they play at five o'clock here, which is which is an amazing. That game that game this weekend was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um the the entertainment value was <laughs> tremendous. 
Um, there's a lot of pain and a lot of pleasure in that one. <laughs> and isn't that what sports are all about? <laughs> well, no. It should be pleasure. There should be no pain. Well, no, no. There, you don't. I'm not. No, you don't want the pain, but it's part of the deal. It, it, there's no other way around. But let's face it. Every well, year, only one team can win a championship. Everybody else is is going to be in pain in one form or another. You know, so obviously, sometimes not winning the championship is better than others, depending on how you're your team. But there's always pain involved and, and pleasure in sports. There's just no getting around it. And uh, yeah, and to me, one of the great things about whatever sport it is, is is supporting a team that has caused so much pain and all of a sudden bringing great pleasure to you, pleasure to you. So it's they go hand in hand. Sometimes, to me, in a strange way, it's even necessary to have both. Well, I'm I'm not sure as a as a timber supporter, I completely agree with you. But um, no. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the, the painful part. I don't know if you saw the game or not. I think Stephen, yeah, you did. definitely saw it, right? Yeah, um, I saw bits and pieces of it before my direct TV went went on the fritz for me, but. Fortunate because you guys are so because the Timbers have such a massive support. Um, Sirius XM picked up Flyers um, call, which is great because that's the only way I was. It's the only way I get get a hold of it because there's so many. There's so much. The great thing I like about the Timbers is there's so many support. The Timbers Army the, is good. There's so many people out there writing about it. There's there's at least there's at least two podcasts. I know I know of um, Michael Orr's and five five minutes to kick off. It seems like yeah. And there's um, Fletcher Johnson's one that he took over from um, John Strong when he left um, Talk Timbers. But it, it seems like it, I got the list. I was going to give it out because there was still the NFL on, but it was it was it was a lot. I mean, I. Put it down, okay, it's 3 nothing. I think it's like 2 nothing. I'm going to give up. And then I, I circled back. I'm like, now it's 3 to 2. I'm going to have to turn, the, I'm going to have to turn most after listen harder again. <laughs> yeah, you faded out there a bit, Stephen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the hard part, and, you know, I don't do this because um, I don't want to, but, you know, the, the amount of time, you know, I mean, I don't. If you guys, you guys write blogs. I I, I write all over the place. Okay, so you, I'm pretty much all over. I pretty much write all over Europe. I would, I would love to write in the United States. I just, work, I work. Used to work, you know, I'm sure you know. Right? I'm sure you know Alicia Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, she's a uh, goat parade as well. Yeah, right, we've, we've had, had her on here a bunch of times. Yeah. yeah, I've written with her for. I've written with her on and off. I. I, I write more of the history of the sport because I have, I'm just getting into coaching, so I don't really know the intricacies of the sport. So yeah, I'm trying oh, to get right. back, yeah I'm trying to get back over here. I talked to Josh Gessman about oh about a month ago for writing with him, and he just got he seems to get really really busy after a while. So no, I I, I try to write a lot. I, I write for um, the football blogging awards and a couple other. Well, it's only about three or four, but people say it's about a thousand places at this point. Yeah, yeah. It well, seems like it's so a, so we're 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 kind of similar there. I mean, I I actually cover the Timbers for the Colombian newspaper, but but I've got my own site where I cover the EPL, Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, and the Liga. So. You know, my my hobby time is is kind of absorbed pretty pretty regularly. So, you know, I mean, it, it's hard, but you know, taking time for an hour to to listen to podcasts is kind of a hard thing to do. So, you know, every once in a while, I'll talk with Bob Kellett. I'll meet him at uh, Hot Lips, and we'll have a chat. Or I'll talk with the Axe. Um, he, he's actually busy doing stuff this year. He's not written in a while. Um, but as far as the the guys go with with Stumptown Footy, I mean, um, Will Will Conwell puts together a good uh, training update on a regular basis. But there's just not the time, um, really, to to read from from what everybody else here 
puts together. Um, so, you know, as, as a writer, that is. So, you know, as a, as a fan, you know, gosh, I think there's a couple of different uh, combination or con- consolidation sites in Portland. And there's probably 20 or 30 or maybe even as many as 40 different writers uh, covering the Timbers. So there's there's a whole broad view, and, and I'm sure it's probably the same in Seattle. Um, so, you know, I don't know what it's like in some of the other cities. Uh, some of the contacts I got, uh, it's usually only one or two, but, uh, yeah, it's... Columbus has, has an extensive... Uh, you, uh, social media network covering your team. I know there's a few. Uh, you've got the Massive Report uh, going on, the Massive Report blog. Uh, Matt Gosher uh, runs that. Uh, there's a couple different podcasts, uh, some other blogs out there as well. There's a lot of stuff out there, and it's, uh, as far as the crew are concerned, so, and they get, and they're able to get some of the, you know, some of the players or uh, some of the media people on every once in a while. Uh, I know I've done, uh, we've had Matt Gosher on here once previously along with uh, Ashley Agnelsi who works, uh, covers the home gates of Fox Sports Ohio here. So it, 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 to some extent there's a lot of that going around all across uh, MLS and it's to me, as I, and I've said this before on the show, it's part of it's been a good, a really important part in terms of the growth of the the support of the game, the attention the game gets, because it shows that there is more interest out there than maybe some of the traditional mainstream media realizes, and I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing more media coverage, uh, sponsors uh, paying more attention to it in terms of of advertising and signing on as uh, on the broadcast deals and, th- and things like that. It, it's it's the case of the fans, rather than waiting for the popular media, the traditional media, to tell them what's big out there, they figured it out for themselves, and they're the ones spreading the word. And, the, and, this, and so you've got kind of a role reversal. The traditional media has had has caught on because they've seen what's going on in social media. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I don't. I, I hope that kind of circled back to to. To the topic there, Stephen. Um, oh, as I explained, as I explained the show once to coworkers, it's it's a show run by an ADD guy who just doesn't <laughs> doesn't really put puts together a thought plan for the show, but then completely screws it up by listening to um, John Hart's after about for five minutes, just going, "Okay, I got to do this, got to do this, I got to do this." Think of it, Chris. Chris, Chris, think of it as Freeform jazz meets improv comedy. Okay, think of it in those <laughs> terms. You got to That's the best way I can think of to describe it. Now, I'm not saying we have that kind of talent because we don't, but I would say in terms of structure, structure or format, that's the best way I thought of to describe how we do things here. Yeah. Well, right. hey, okay. I I got a free flowing question for you, and and it kind of popped By up. Fire away. And and and, it, and it's related to the the latest article that I just put together on uh, week 26, but it goes back to the sacking of Ryan Nelson. You know, what do you got, what do you, you, what, what did you guys think about that, the timing of it, and then their actual position in the table? Well, what did you guys think about that? That was, well, that was interesting. Um, I'm in, I'm in Buffalo, so I mean, we get the Toronto stuff here pretty regularly, and we were so, one of the things we were so afraid about with with Toronto FC being really big is that they were going to swoop down and buy the Bills. Thank God Terry Bagula bought the Bills and they're keeping them here. Um, that was that was as I was trying to explain it to somebody when I was talking. It was. That's just Toronto being Toronto. It's like they have never gotten their stuff together. It's like they want to be the, they want to be Canada's Chivas USA. I mean, they bring in all this talent. They bring in all this talent. That's a brilliant and, analogy, Stephen. It really is. And they bring in these coaches. They fire them. I mean, 
they've had more coaches in some aspects than Chivas has. And Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe's over in Europe. England, and then they're reporting that he's trying to buy out his contract, but he's giving out tweets saying that he's ready for the next one. We're not hearing from Michael Bradley, but we're really, and there there is some people that were bantering on on Twitter that okay, if you really want to go, if you really want to go Canadian style, what you do is you trade Michael Bradley to Portland and get get Will Johnson back up there, which made me all tights. <laughs> All kinds of happy with that because I would love to see Michael Bradley there. I, I don't know if Gavin would go for it, but you know it was just odd because Buffalo has an MPSL team and it's very well supported, but it's in a very small park. And Toronto's kind of like our suburb, if that makes sense. Is that that's where a lot of people go, and to have a team up there that just stinks. It, it's like being outside of Cleveland and wanting to really root for a good NFL team, but they just continually beat their brains in. Yeah, I know. I, I got it. I mean, I actually grew up in Ohio, and I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Um, but, yeah, and, and you know, here, here, here's, here's kind of why I ask, because, cause, you know, I mean, most people – who follow passing accuracy should kind of know that Michael Bradley's not the most accurate passer on the pitch. He's he's there because of his vision and his understanding of the game and his his cerebral plus his great foot skills. His first touch is is usually pretty superb too, but you know, in in looking at the passing accuracy for that team throughout this season, it's never been higher than 73% as a whole. And you know, they're their ability to generate and create shots really hasn't been that good either. But but the thing that that Nelson brought, a defense that was pretty consistent, and it was consistent enough to get them 1-0 or 2-0 wins or 2-1 wins at the appropriate time to put them, you know, mid of the top five in the playoff race. And, and so... You know, performance wasn't the best, but the results were pretty good given the fact that he didn't have a lot of accurate passers on his team. So, And then you turn around and you put in the academy director, Vanny, right? He was the academy yeah. director. Yeah, and, I think so. And they've just gone completely pear-shaped against Philadelphia two games in a row. And it's like, you know, it, it kind of reminds me, why did Montreal... Uh, Sack was Schillebaum. That was the coach last year, right? When yeah. when he made the playoffs, and and now they're at the bottom of the table. May, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe there's a a battle between Montreal and Toronto to see who can emulate Chivas the quickest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Toronto FC. I, I think Stephen got it best. It's it, it, or actually, I think Aerosmith said it best. Same old song and dance. Uh, what we thought was going to be a pretty, finally, a stable management and coaching situation at TFC has gone haywire. Uh, Tim Lewicki has left, more than likely, well, at least I should say more likely, but based on what I've been reading, uh, a lot of people think he's going to end up with whatever outfit ends up buying Chivas USA. He's got to wait, I think, 18 months, I think was what I read, before he could do anything with another another MLS team, and it's you know, somewhere along the line somebody got the idea, hey Ryan Nielsen's over in over his head, and certainly since they got rid of him, the bottom has fallen out in Utah, and they they paid for it as you, you talked about, Chris. They get these one nil wins, and they now they don't even get those. They're staring at a, a you know a minus seven goal difference, uh, which is which is third worst in the division. Although they, you know, they still, they, they're still only three points out of the playoff spots. So when three of the four teams ahead of them, they've got a game in hand on It's So it, it is just more of the, it seems like it, just when we thought the things had changed up there, they revert back to the way they were before. It was a surprise. It was a surprise they brought Nielsen in as coach and probably the bigger surprise that they got rid of him as coach. But we've seen what has happened since then. 
And uh, the, the frightening prospect of all this to me is hockey season starts, and even the same people who run my beloved Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm just so afraid that what looks promising right now and based on what happened at the end of last year is suddenly gonna, going to go to Hades in a handbasket by the time Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving gets here. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you guys think anybody else is going to get sacked between now and the end of the season or next year? There were nine, seven, seven out of the bottom ten teams in MLS last year had coaching changes. What do you guys think? What do you think, Stephen? Well, Jim Curran's going to get let go by the um, either after the U.S. Open Cup or before it. Um, Tannewald is talking that um, Mulestein has actually been hired. They're just waiting to do that, and. I have a scary suspicion, I've seen this going around, that Pablo Mastorini is not going to last the year, that maybe he might just go see him. Yeah, you know, with, with Colorado taking a nosedive the last three or four oh, yeah. weeks, yeah, yeah that, got, that's entirely second, possible. They're next to last in goal difference, believe it. Even they're only five places, five points out of a playoff place, but they're minus 18, or that's uh, minus nine. In goal difference, I said they're the second worst in the uh, Western Conference. Uh, only Chivas's, Chivas's goal goal difference looks like uh, some of the teams I've played played for. But uh, you have to wonder in, in San Jose too. You know, let's face it. They they pointed this out uh, the other night when San Jose was on uh, playing. The other day when San Jose played was playing Portland. Uh, Taylor Twelman, Adrian Healy brought this up. This crop hasn't been the same since Frankie Yallop left. Yeah, they had a really, they had a good nucleus, they had a good identity, and a really good idea of what to do on the pitch. And now, it's like all Taylor Twelman said, it's like they wanted to get rid of that and try something different. Well, they did, and look what they are next to bottom in the Western Conference. So you have to wonder about that coaching situation as well. And you talk about Philadelphia, uh, you know, these names been attached to that job for all, most of this season. And you know, they used to said well, you said is new one to me that they had that he has been actually hired, but they aren't going to do anything till the end of the season, or at least after the Open Cup final. But um, yeah. that would that I mean they're in that last playoff place. They're tied with Columbus, who's uh, uh, only had a goal difference there. So that that would be a little bit of a surprise. Um, for them to do something even before the season ends. I mean, after the season, like, it would make sense because I don't, you know, you know I don't think, you know, whoever, I, whoever you mentioned, I know whoever's in there now, I don't think he was ever anything more than the than the, the caretaker at this point. But it's a little bit of a surprise that they would do something after the Open Cup final rather than wait until the end of the season. I mean, that would be, I mean, imagine if they won the Open Cup. Yeah, we won the Open Cup. Great, so silverware. You know, coach, come see me in the office tomorrow morning, please. You know that that, that would seem cause that would seem like a really weird. That would be a Toronto FC thing to do. Well, I think they did make a commitment to Curtin that um, he he could apply for the position, but they they were they were clear they were looking for somebody with MLS experience and not necessarily an old hat. But one that knew under, knew how to uh, win in the league, and you know, geez, yeah. what's that mean? I mean, you could, you could take that a hundred different ways. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's interesting, Watson. Yeah, I mean, you know that that whole deal, how that transpired last year was a bit odd uh, to me because I thought they were trying to transition last year, and to prohibit the transition, they brought. They they promoted Watson and, and yeah. got rid of got rid of Frank. So um, <clears throat> you know the hard part I think is Jallo. I don't he's he's still injured. So they've I think they've they've had an impact with him not being available on the attacking side. Their their defense. Yeah, Wanda, yeah, Wando's been left to, to his own devices far too often. You're right there. Yeah, and, and and of course they moved Gordon. I guess Gordon's with L.A. now, right? Yeah, they moved him back to. Yeah, they moved him back there, and that really touched off a real lot of fun with all the Galaxy fans because I, he's apparently not well liked from the last time he was 
there among the among the um, team racers. He's apparently not that he's not that good of a guy or something. I, there was there was something in Grant, um, Grant Wall's book. I mean, actually, you've got. I think I think Keith, you've got Grant Wall's book. So I mean, yes, I do. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, I have it. I think he kind of left a sour taste in the mouth of a few people here in Portland too. I think he he's he's an ex Timber too. From, yeah, from I, previous MLS days. Um but uh no, I mean so so you know they they moved Gordon and they've got Leonard, but you know does that mean Adam John is is going to stay with the team or are they going to are they going to rotate out and not have, you know, the big bodies to go with Wando like they have in the past. But you know when I watch the game and since I sit up high in the stadium, you know, they're they're they still play direct attack. So so there's the the overall tactical difference is, is I mean, there isn't one. Uh they they still play in crosses, they still play in, you know, second and third level passes. So um that 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 kind of strategy hasn't really changed a whole lot. Um and maybe that's down to Jallo not being on the team or not. But you know, another one that that I was just thinking about as you were talking about Watson, Keith, is Paul Robinson. I mean, here he's replaced Martin Rennie, who who actually just didn't have a good defense last year, but they had a great attack. Um, and now things have flipped around. <coughs> Vancouver's got a, a very strong defense, but, but their attack has gone pear-shaped. And it's like, okay, what's the balance that's the best for the Vancouver Whitecaps? So, and you know the that's competition. That's always the battle in this game. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's the old, you know, the old adage is it's easier to destroy than it is to create, and that's it's something that's been fought in this game for a very long time. Um, and the, the, to find that right balance, especially in this day and age when the speed of the game is so much greater than it was, say, 20 years ago, uh, it, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing for any coach to have to figure out, certainly. Before we get to Jermaine Jones, I want to mention one thing real quick that I just happened to find on Major League Soccer's website. Uh, apparently Fox is going to bring out their what they call Multi-Match 90. It's going to be their version of the NFL Red Zone, and they're going to use it during the Champions League this year. Uh, and they're even, in fact, for those of us who have direct TV, you were talking about Steven along with Files, uh, there's going to be uh, Fox Soccer Plus going to have a pre preview October 18th to 26th, which I believe is a Champions League week. So it, it, it's interesting to see, because you know, NBC Sports Network did this the first year they were covering MLS with, this, uh, with their own whip around show, that MLS Breakaway they did a few times back then. It, it's, so it's interesting to see the. The, the soccer broadcasters uh, going into this kind of territory, uh, although admittedly it's a little bit different. Obviously, with the NFL red zone, let's face it, that's just more about the fantasy football guys than anything else. And, uh, it's, and to, to me, that's like you know whatever. It's I I used I played fantasy sports briefly. I gave it up 50 years ago after I saw a. Uh, uh, poster that uh, showed a bunch of guys uh, doing a fantasy sports draft, and the caption for those of you who do play fantasy sports, not trying to offend or anything like that, but I think the, the caption on the poster is something pretty well. Fantasy sports, Dungeons and Dragons for jocks. So <laughs> that's but good. This, this is yeah, this is, this is a different kind of thing because you, you so many more things happen, and so suddenly in, in soccer than than the other sports. You know, you know whether it be goals. Uh, great. The article points out goal, goals, great save, penalty decisions, things like that. You you, you can't anticipate that uh, uh, necessarily, so you don't know it's coming. So it's great that they, I think it's great that they're going to do this. Plus, I think one of the you know, obviously one of the criticisms that Fox has faced for a few more than a few years, even going back to when they still had Fox Soccer Channel going, was this perception that they don't take the game that seriously. They're not trying to do. What they didn't try to do what ESPN uh, did as far as covering the game. Um, certainly, when NBCSN came on with both MLS and the Premier League, it may, uh, uh, that criticism of Fox was was increased dramatically. So 
I think this is a this is definitely a good thing uh, for them to do, especially with the Champions League, because they play these matches concurrently all the time. And uh, you know, before they would show, they were able to show two games at a time on whether it be a Fox Soccer Channel or Fox Soccer Plus. Now doing it on either Fox Sports One or Two, which they've been doing. This this will give uh, this will give people more more options uh, and more uh, opportunities to see more things. So I think this is this is definitely a smart move as far as Fox is concerned, to my to my view anyway. Well, it, that's that's music to my ears. I mean, it, you guys know I've been looking at the final third for two years now. So yeah, um, and you know, there's just an awful lot that goes on, and then there's an awful lot that doesn't go on. And right. you know the and, and and to me the most critical thing I'll look for with this with this new approach is is how well it gets communicated on what doesn't happen as much as what does happen and and I think you guys know what I mean it's like you know if a defender is hindering a pass in in a specific hindering a player and not allowing a pass to be completed in one area that that means that the attacker has to pass the ball to another area. So, you know, even though there's no statistic that says that that was good positional defending, that that's good positional defending. And, you know, hopefully, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to peel that back so, you know, players can start to get more credit for what doesn't happen as opposed to what does happen. It's like, you know, clearances are good. You know, block crosses are good, but... You know, sometimes an action that might take place before that means that that cross doesn't ever get attempted to begin with. So, yeah, that, I look forward to that. Great, that's a great point because it, you know, that's it's it's like to me uh, the the old Oakland Raiders approach in the '60s and '70s. Yeah, it's great if you've got defensive backs who can knock down a lot of passes, but if you can put the quarterback on his backside and not let him throw the pass in the first place, you're better off. And that's yeah. that's yeah. that's a good point because those, like as you said, Chris, those are things that necessarily can't be measured in terms of statistics uh, because again, you can't count something that it did not happen, as you pointed out. Yeah, but you know, funny you should say that. I just wrote an article about that. <laughs> <laughs> My timing is impeccable as always, Chris. <laughs> it's something about new statistics in soccer. It's called open but, shots and open passes and you know it gets back to you know how do you measure what doesn't happen and the only way you can measure what doesn't happen is by keeping track of what does happen in specific areas and then you make the assumption that it didn't happen in the other area for the most part because the defense was in a good position so um anyway Stephen you were you were thinking about chatting about Jermaine Jones yeah, well, the, what I was uh, what I was thinking with uh, what I was thinking with this, and I, I was more interested in what you guys were were thinking with this because I, I I know Ryan Seelock went nuclear on this on actually Alexi Wallace, and we talked about it briefly last week. I was persisted. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann, according to Jermaine Jones, told Jermaine Jones to come back to the MLS. This sounds contradictory to me because. Eric Klinsman's all about his players playing overseas, playing for the big clubs, playing they have to be over there. So is he telling Jermaine Jones, you're not a big enough player to play overseas anymore, so come over here? I don't He's necessarily think so. I, I think this is this is this points up I think to me this points up something that I've mentioned on this show quite a bit. It's about actually playing. You know, if and I and maybe you know, maybe that had something to do with it. You're thinking, you know, maybe back in his mind, thinking he's not going to play as much in Europe as he was in MLS, but maybe that did have something to do with it. But I think the Jurgen's main point is that he understands the players need to play. I, the line I always remember was, was the late John McKay, the the legendary Southern California football coach, where he he had a great line. He was talking about quarterbacks, but but it applies in a general sense to all athletes. He said, you know, quarterback says on the sidelines to watches. He learns how to drink water. He learns how to hold a clipboard. He learns how to wear a hat. But he doesn't learn how to play football. You know, the, the, the same thing applies here. And I said this before. I'd rather have a guy here in MLS playing playing on a regular basis 
than going and playing with the reserves or sitting on the first-team bench in Europe. And I think this, this is what Jurgen ultimately understands he needs, especially with the younger players, because he knows come more. He understands come World Cup time, those younger players are the guys that are going to carry the show. That's where you're going to make or break yourselves. And that's, that's one of the reasons why he brought it to Julian Green. It's why he went over some of these younger German-American players. Uh, it's a reason why he left Landon Donovan off the team. He understands that World Cup is for guys, the World Cup is for guys like 28 and under. That, for the most part, that's where you're going to sink or swim. And they've got to, and if they don't, so he understands being that young, they don't have as much play experience. He knows that they got to get more. And I'm sure Jurgen's thinking, well, like he and Joe, and Joe has said, he was considering this even before the World Cup, before Jurgen even told him about this. This is according to uh, the article on Major League Soccer's website when Jones had got finally uh, was signed up uh, by New England Revolution. Uh, but you know, Jurgen wants to make sure that he plays. You know, Jermaine Jones is going to be an important player uh, over the next four years for this team. And he ended, so yeah, maybe, as I said, maybe he thinks that he's got a better chance to get more playing time here than he would in Europe, but I think ultimately what Jurgen wants to make sure is these guys are playing, getting as much experience as they can, so they're ready for when to qualify for for you know for the upcoming uh, for the Copa America, and certainly when the World Cup qualifiers start not long after. These young kids have to be ready to get out there and play, and if they're sitting on a bench in Europe someplace, it's not helping. Yeah, you know, I, I, in uh, in thinking about. One, Jermaine Jones playing with New England, I think he made a great business decision. Uh, Chicago was not the place for him to play, that's for sure. Well, um, it wasn't his decision. Keep that in mind. This was well, like a blind yeah, but, draw out of a two envelopes by Major League Soccer's uh, office. So that wasn't I, his choice, but you're right. You're, you are right, yet he is in a better situation. Well, I, you know, I I mean, you, you might be right on, on how that decision finally might have come about, but you know Chicago was not a good fit. I mean, they're a direct well, that, attacking that's team, and they had... happened. So I'm taking his word for it. If I'm yeah. wrong, blame him. He's the one who announced it first. <laughs> well, the two envelopes. Did Alexi just, you know, identify how big the two envelopes were? I mean, the one for New England could have been the size of a house, and the one no, for I, Chicago I, could I, have I, been the size of a pea. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying he, he didn't imply there was a chicanery involved. He just said it was two envelopes and the New England was the one that got picked. That was it. He didn't say anything at all about any wrongdoing on anybody's part. He just said that what he said was, you know, this, it was a draw that was done. It was not Jermaine's decision is the, the, po- is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, okay. Well, it might have been his agent's decision then. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know, but 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 you know with uh, I mean, I don't I don't remember who Jones played for in the Bundesliga, but um <clears throat> you know, him him coming back here, you know, MLS is is not one of the better passing leagues in the world. Um and they're more possession based. Uh, than the Bundesliga is, so so the the two things that you know that that might have helped, you know, influence the decision to come back and play in the MLS, given his age and his his kind of veteran leadership status potential, is those those two things. One, with passing accuracy not being the best, <clears throat> it gives him a chance to work on a pitch where he might actually get a little bit more space and time to get better at passing himself. And then two, because it's possession-based more than the Bundesliga, he might actually get more space and time to help others on his team do the same thing. And, you know, because, you know, in, in as much as I've never played professional soccer, uh, uh, I mean, you know, training is training and, and, in its practice, in as much as well, who was that? That Allen Iverson must have Alan said the Iverson, word practice. Yeah, we'll practice yeah, Twenty times, but you know, when you're playing a game on the pitch, and it can be practice or it can be real, you know, the more repetitions you do, you know, realistically, the better you ought to get. So, him playing with New England, a side that's going to fit the style that probably better suits 
uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's approach to the game, uh, you know, that, that, that's a benefit for Jermaine. And, you know, he's, he's got himself a good salary, I'm sure. And uh, he's, he's certainly going to get more minutes, real world. So, I, you know, I think, it's, I think it's a great move for the guy. Uh, and I yeah, think it's yeah, a great I move just, for the men's national yeah, team. Uh, I don't just know if... To your point, just to your point about him playing in Germany, he started uh, the youth team at Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, then later played for Bayer Leverkusen, and most recently for uh, Schalke in Germany. So those were his uh, German clubs. And captain uh, leaving Schalke a couple of brief... Uh, Loan uh, spell at Blackburn Rovers and a brief uh, a brief spell at uh, Besiktas in Turkey before getting uh, coming over here finally. Oh right, so he got basically kicked into touch from Schalke to Blackburn to Besiktas. Okay, yeah. So he got I mean, that's that Blackburn Rovers. He signed with Besiktas and now got transferred to the Revolution. Okay, so you know that that paints a different picture for me. On you know Jones would have got no playing time with Schalke then. I mean, I I followed Blackburn Rovers quite considerably for for the ten years I lived in England, and you know they're they're uh, Champions League now, which is the the league before, below the EPL. So um, no, I I get it. And, and him coming over here, he he's probably going to be in a better environment to practice and play at the same time. And it's, um, not but, like was playing, it's not like he was playing. It's not like he was playing a whole. I mean, it was a full-fledged regular shocker that seven years played 129 matches. So that's about 18 a year. Yeah. Uh, and they, the Bundesliga play, what, 33 games, I believe? Yeah, they do. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, not like he was in, it's not like he was in the first 11 every week at Schalke either. And and the other thing is, he's, he's 32 or 33, right? 32, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, his, his playing times for the U.S. men's national team are, are on – are on the downslope. Um, yeah, so 30, he's 33 in November. So, so you know, this this might be a leadership role as much as anything else for other oh, players yeah. that might actually right. come into the men's national team, yeah. like Fagundes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, haven't heard a or lot Julian about. Julian Green. I'm, I'm sure that well, he's thinking in terms of mentoring Julian Green because you're dealing with again, you're dealing with two guys. Both of whom are the, the are German Americans. Their dads were, uh, were military guys, and so he, this is a German is the guy who could look at look at Julian Green and say, "Hey, I've walked a mile in your whatever brand of boots you wear. I know exactly what what you've done. I know exactly how what it takes to get there. And you uh, you get under my wing, and I'll get you to where you need to go. Because I guarantee you, Julian Green is going to be an important player." In 2018, assuming the United States qualify, in fact, it wouldn't surprise me if he's in the first 11. I think I think Jurgen's got that much confidence in his ability, and I think a guy like a Jermaine Jones showing him the ropes is going to be a really big asset for, for Julian Green and for the national team as a whole. Well, you've 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 got a, a much more positive expectation for Julian Green than <laughs> I do. That, uh, that I, I will sure. admit I do, but I I think this kid I think this kid can be. A terrific player. You know, I I could be wrong. I'm just I'm just I'm taking the optimistic viewpoint here because that's what I generally try to do. I I yeah. I, I, re- well, I realize the reality of the situation, but yeah, I try to be positive. I th- I think this kid's got a lot of upside. Well, I'm you know, just both of you, real quick, because we're coming up on the end of the show. Um, Chris, I want you to be able to um to promote yourself for our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, I cover MLS, Bundesliga, La Liga, and the English Premier League on www.possessionwithpurpose.com. And I cover the Portland Timbers on the Columbia newspaper You can out of Vancouver. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, no problem. And Keith, are, you're, you're, you're doing your stuff with um, University of Dayton, right? Yeah, the, uh, I've been... Uh, Working with the volleyball team, plus uh, I may get a chance. I have had may get a chance to do a couple of men's soccer team webcasts because my friend Lee Mullen, uh, who normally does those, will have a couple of minor league hockey conflicts in October, so he's lobbying the UD athletics people to let me uh, step in for him on the UD soccer webcast. So I'm hoping that one comes fast. And I'm sh- I'm sure I will come up with some. I'm sure I will come up with some annoyingly historical. 
coming coming up on one of the many blogs I'm writing for. Anyways, Stephen Brandt, Chris Gluck, and Keith Kokinda. We will see you next week when I think I'm going to give Keith a complete show to do a Manchester United hour, which I'm going to live <laughs> to regret this. I just know it. Anyway, Can you talk about a losing guys. team for a whole hour? <laughs> uh, uh, what a life. Hey, cool. Hey, guys. Always good to have a chat with you. Take care. All the best. And we'll talk with you soon. Okay. Take care later.